Good evening. Turn with me to 2 Timothy. That's not 2 Timothy. Chapter 1. Oops. I forgot to reset my Bible. There we go. That's Dale. Was it, was it last week in my evening sermon that I uh, misdirected folks on where Scripture was? Uh, I said, I think I said turn to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I skipped Titus and Philemon when I said, go back a couple pages. <clears throat> um, as soon as I said it, I told Dale, I said, as soon as I said it, I was like, that's not right. Um, last week, we talked about uh, basically how Timothy opens up, the, or Paul opens up the letter to Timothy. Um, we talked about the first half of verse 3 of chapter 1, in which um, Paul talks about what it means to, well, he addresses uh, a sincere, uh, or sorry, a pure conscience, a a clear conscience is what we talked about last week. Um, But in verse 3, that's not all that Paul talks about. That's just the first half of it. The second half uh, is what we'll talk about tonight, where we find out uh, more about what's going on with Timothy, who Timothy is, the type of person he is, the type of faith that he has. So we're going to start there tonight in verse 3. And remember, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to Timothy as he is sitting in jail. Paul is sitting in jail awaiting his imminent death. He's waiting to die. He knows that it's coming, um, but yet he's still full of joy. And he opens his letter to Timothy uh, like this. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So in verses 3 through 4 there, he says he constantly prays for him night and day. He's reminded of his tears. He longs to see him so that he could be filled with joy. He, he says that he prays for Timothy often, and he expresses his desire to see this young preacher, that it would fill him with joy. Paul's love and longing to see Timothy was due to the faith that Timothy had, the type of faith that Timothy had, something that I'm sure Paul would find great comfort in, especially when you consider the situation that Paul was in at that time. Of course, even though he was in jail awaiting his imminent death, as we've been reading in Philippians and other of his prison letters, he's still filled with joy. He still counts it all joy, as, as uh, James says. Um, but Timothy's faith is a faith that began first with his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, and is now within Timothy as well. It's this faith that Paul calls sincere or genuine, as your translation may have. Uh, in, saying that, in saying this, Paul is implying that not all faith is genuine. Not all faith is sincere. So tonight I want us, as we study through our lesson about a sincere faith, to to reflect, to look on your own faith. What kind of faith do you have? So let's look closer at the subject of faith so we can better understand what Scripture says in regard to insincere faith. Now throughout Scripture we have examples of different types of faith that displease God. O ye of little faith, little faith, as Jesus said multiple times. He says this in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 30, of those who are failing to trust in God's providence. Or in Matthew chapter 8, 
verse 26 in uh, chapter 14, verse 30, when he calls out the disciples uh, for they were filled with fear in Matthew chapter 8. And in uh, Ma- uh, chapter 14, they were filled with doubt. He calls them out. He says, O ye of little faith. His disciples were often the target of Jesus' rebuke for having little faith. These men that would ultimately go on, most of them would ultimately go on to build and grow the church that Christ established on the day of Pentecost. These men of little faith. Matthew chapter 16, verses 8 through 9, as the disciples were fretting over forgetting bread on a trip across the sea, they completely forgot about the power of God that he, he can provide for their needs as he did with the loaves and the fishes just days before, hours before. Little faith causes distrust, it causes fear, it causes doubt, and it causes ignorance to the power of God. And then there's something that's called dead faith. Turn over to James chapter 2. James addresses uh, this type of displeasing faith. It's a faith that causes one to, fa- uh, to fail to produce good works or works in general. And it's described also as a body without a spirit. Look first at verse 17 of James chapter 2. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. All right? If, if you have faith but have no works... Your faith is dead, is basically what James is saying. Look at verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Also in this chapter, James tells of uh, what, I, what I'll call a demonic faith, a faith of demons, if you will. Verse 19 reads, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Mark chapter 1, verse 24, describes this, uh, an interaction between Christ and a demon who not only recognized Jesus as a man, but he also recognized Jesus as a deity. And he refused, uh, or he uh, basically said, leave me alone. What do you want with me? These demons believe in God. They believe in Jesus. They had faith because they believed in them. They believed who they were, but... Yet, they just wanted to be left alone. I believe that you are who you say you are. Don't care. Leave me alone. Go away. And then there's unconfessing faith. It's similar to this demonic faith, if you will. Uh, But uh, unconfessing faith is a little bit different. Turn over to John chapter 12. And we're going to look at verses uh, 42 through 43 here. Now, this type of faith, unconfessing faith... Uh, is held by those who believe, but they refuse to confess Jesus Christ. They, can, they refuse to conf- confess uh, that Jesus Christ, He is the Christ, that He is the Messiah, He is the Son of God. Uh, perhaps the, the refusal to confess this is because of uh, uh, familial things. You know, my family will disown me, or uh, my friends will make fun of me. You know, that kind of faith. That's not a strong faith. That's not a genuine or sincere faith. That's a very weak faith if you're unable to confess Christ. Look at uh, verse 42 here in John chapter 12. Nevertheless, many even, uh, uh, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. 
For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This, these Pharisees, they wouldn't confess that, yeah, this guy that we're persecuting, we're always asking him questions, putting him to the test. He's, he's, he's persuaded me. I believe he's the Son of God, but they're not, they would never say it because they would lose their position in the synagogue. They would lose all of this focus that they have on them as men of God within the, the Jewish faith. And so they refused to do that. It was an unconfessing faith. But we know that confessing Jesus is, is, is a necessary condition of our salvation. We see it in Paul's teaching in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. In the, uh, we also see it in the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 through 33, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So unconfessing faith is displeasing to God because it cannot save. If you are unable or, un, or not unable, if you are unwilling to confess that Jesus is the Son of God, then that, that's significant for your salvation. And so, of course, that's displeasing to God. Now, something else that exists today that uh, is disingenuous faith is uh, not necessarily something that we see in the pages of the Bible, but it is something that I I like to call environmental faith. This is something, um, basically, it's it's based upon, uh, uh, the person's faith is based upon the environment they're in. All right, so... Uh, for example, faith that only comes from being in, uh, the, under the positive influence of uh, someone's home or a church or a church camp or a Christian college, etc. I went to a Christian college. I, I've lost count of how many people I went to college with at Harding that are no longer members of the church, no longer faithful. They are living in sin, etc. Because what happens is when those individuals are removed from that environment that was bringing them faith or causing them faith, their faith went away. And as we talked about this morning, they went out of that bubble, they went out of that little environment where their faith was contained into the world of sin and the world of sin won. It's a faith that typically comes because it's to appease others more so than God. Some signs of this type of faith is someone who may pray in public, perhaps in worship or over a meal, but they don't pray in private. Something that we talked about that should be a part of our daily devotions to God last week in our Sunday morning sermon. Um, another part of that, of course, is Bible study. Or, uh, someone with environmental faith would be someone who studies the Bible only while gathered with the body, but outside of that, they don't, they don't touch the Bible. It just sits on the, sits on the shelf by the door just so they can grab it on their way out to go to church next week. And lastly, there is a, there's uh, simply blind faith. I'm sure you've heard of this. In fact, you've probably even used one of the misconceiving lines associated with this. Have you ever told someone uh, who doesn't believe in God, or perhaps they're just hoping for a positive outcome in something, you just have to have faith? Right? That statement, that statement uh, doesn't provide any reasons for having faith. And that's what blind faith is. It is a faith that is believing in something without evidence. Now, this is called credulity. Yes, I had to look that up. A, how to pronounce it. I've seen the word before, but never really knew what it meant. Um, But credulity is defined as the tendency to be too ready to believe that something is real or true. It's very similar to the word gullible. It's, the best way I can 
illustrate this kind of faith is a child who believes in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. Right? That belief is based on no evidence of Santa existing. It's only based, or, or a magical bunny uh, who delivers presents or baskets in the middle of the night. But it's based upon a playful lie, really, let's call it what it is, a playful lie um, based on the authority of, of adults, what parents have told their children. That's what their, that's what their belief, that's what their faith is, is uh, based on. And it's a blind faith. Um, but God provides us with the facts that we need to believe. Facts that easily bring one to believe. And he expects us to love him, not just with our hearts, but also with our minds, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Because a faith that pleases God is a faith that is a strong conviction in the things that are unseen. But this faith, a faith in the conviction of things unseen, is based on the evidences that we find both in God's creation and in God's word. Plus, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, defines faith this way. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. That's what faith is. For without faith it is impossible to please him. Forever, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, a few verses uh, after uh, the definition of faith. Faith that pleases God is a faith that believes God raised Jesus from the dead. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 tells us that this is a necessary condition of our salvation as well. Not only are we to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, but Romans 10, 9 says that we are to believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. Jesus says in John chapter 20, verse 29, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Great blessings come from a strong faith in Jesus' resurrection, even though we have not seen it. None of us saw the, have seen the resurrected Jesus. But we believe it based on the evidences that are provided to us in God's word. A faith that pleases God is one that is lovingly at work serving him. For we are justified by works and not by faith alone, as James writes in chapter 2, verse 24. And Paul says that circumcision or uncircumcision, that counts for nothing, but only faith working through love. And that faith must be sincere. It must be a genuine faith, not faked or put on, as our scripture of focus in 2 Timothy chapter 1 tells us. Now, ironically enough, in Paul's letter to Timothy, uh, first letter to Timothy in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul wrote, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Almost identical openings to the two letters, but worded just slightly differently. In the first, Paul's telling us what our, the aim of our charge is, the purpose. And in 2 Timothy, he is commending the young preacher on having such a sincere faith. So as we've seen thus far, not all faith is pleasing to God. Not all faith is saving. So how can we have a saving faith that is genuine? How can one develop a genuine or sincere faith? Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So the first way that this genuine sincere faith is developed is through the word of God. Very simply. 
The Apostle John included a blurb in his gospel account as well as his first letter about why he wrote the things that he did. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Right? That's something that all of us here who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that is something that we should have confidence in, that we have eternal life. That's the purpose of why John wrote the things that he did. And in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, he wrote, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But believe, or I'm sorry, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Very similar to what he writes in 1 John. The Bible contains the evidence that we need to develop faith through the harmony of the scriptures, through its scientific foreknowledge, through its uh, spoken and fulfilled prophecies, through the eyewitness testimonies, etc. All of the things that we talked about in our study on why we believe in the Bible a couple months back. We have to be willing to allow the Bible to produce a sincere faith. Another way a sincere faith is developed is through the family or the household of God. Whoa. All right, uh, let's get back to where we were here. All right. There we go. Okay. So yeah, the household of God. Um, as we see in 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, Timothy was surrounded by people of faith. Now, in Timothy's uh, example, it was his grandmother and mother specifically. The good example of their faith undoubtedly aided in building his own faith. And our faith is also strengthened by surrounding ourselves with other Christians. As the Hebrew writer exhorts us all, to assemble together and consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, and in contrast, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as the day draws near. Of course, it's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. And a few chapters prior to that, we learn a benefit of this faithful association outside of encouragement and building up to love and good works. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13 reads, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The household of God helps to ward off an evil, unbelieving heart. And it helps us develop and maintain a sincere faith. We have to be willing to allow fellowship with God's family to nurture a sincere faith. And finally, a sincere faith is developed through walking with God. Abraham was the father of all the faithful, Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 3, verses 7 and 9. And the example that Abraham provided was quite literally a walking with God faith. Listen to what the Hebrew writer explains in chapter 11, verses 8 through 9. By faith Abraham opened, or obeyed, when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And I'm sure all of us remember the, uh, the picking of which, which side Abraham and Lot wanted to go to. And the, the one that Abraham got was not the most appealing looking, but... God, he trusted God, and he walked with God, and he went there. 
So as he walked in faith with God, he grew in faith, even to the point of offering up or being willing to offer up his son Isaac as a sacrifice at one point. Abraham's faith was not developed all at once, but it was accomplished in stages over time. It grew as he continued walking with God over his long life. And the same could be said really about the apostles as well, right? As we talked about tonight, O ye of little faith. The ye of little faith that were so often mentioned were the disciples, were the apostles. But they grew in faith. Paul is another great example of sincere faith developed with a walk, uh, through a walk with God. So we must be willing to let our own walk with God develop a genuine, sincere faith. After all, God is willing to help provide the kind of faith that pleases Him. He's provided such through His Word, through His family, and through His companionship. They're all there to create, to nurture, and to strengthen our faith respectively. And together, it produces a sincere faith. When someone thinks of you, do they remember or do they think of your faith? Does it produce a similar gratitude that Paul had for Timothy's faith? Or does it produce a sadness as it did with Demas' faith um, that Paul talks about uh, in chapter 4, verse 10 of 2 Timothy? And we'll get to that in a later lesson. But when they think of you, do they think about your faith? Do they recognize your faith? What kind of faith do you have? Is it a genuine faith? Is it a faith that pleases God? Or is it a faith that displeases God? May we always strive to develop a sincere, genuine faith that pleases God, that delights those who know us and helps build up and encourage the body of Christ so that others may also have genuine faith as well. If the church can assist you tonight with that, or if you wish to obey the gospel and confess your faith in Christ, being the Son of God and being baptized into His death, burial, and resurrection, please come forward now while we stand and sing.